to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. Well, the new year is almost here and January 1st hits and everyone starts making those promises to themselves, right? Resolutions that this year I'm gonna get healthy, this year I'm gonna stop smoking cold turkey altogether, this year I'm gonna save money. And then February rolls around and suddenly waking up to go to the gym is kind of tough and the french fries are looking good and you wanna go shopping and have just one cigarette. It's a little tough to keep those New Year's resolutions. Well, now we're gonna bring in some experts to help you start small, small steps to help you meet those goals so that you can be the best you in 2019. So it's probably the top resolution on everybody's list. I know it is on mine. Get healthier. But that is a lot easier said than done. Anna Bakshi has a master's degree in nutrition and integrative health from the Maryland University of Integrative Health. She's made it her life's goal to make people like you and me healthier. Anna, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. So step one, if you're just starting to try and get your nutrition on track, what do you tell people that are just starting out? Well, the first thing you have to do is determine what are your goals. What are your reasons for wanting to change? And then you're going to have to identify how you're going to break those goals down and make them achievable. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people, one of the top resolutions is I want to lose some weight. Okay, let's identify how much weight do you want to lose and is it realistic to lose that much weight? Sure. We got to figure out the timeline that we're working with. And then what are going to be the foods we want to identify that we're either going to add more of or take out that are either going to help you reach your goal or not? Mm -hmm. So do you really do kind of an assessment of somebody's lifestyle now versus what it's going to be in, say, the new year? Yeah, and a lot of it is just making small, realistic changes. So when you think about lifestyle, you know, what are some of the behaviors and patterns we can do to change over the course of time that are going to help us reach the goals we're trying to make? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends who will go on a cleanse or do the Whole30, or on January 1st, they completely change everything they're doing in their diet. Yeah. And I always think, I don't know how that's feasible. What would you say to those people that are going to just, on one day, make a complete change in their whole lives? Yeah, I would say, um, what happens after the 30 days, Mm -hmm. you know? Is this something that's sustainable? Can it be sustained for longer than 30 days? Because if not, then you're kind of just yo-yoing. So you're starting to take something and then you're just going to fall right off the bandwagon. And in the long term, that ends up creating the shame or negative sort of feeling over what I'm eating. So I think Whole30 is a great diet to jumpstart something, but it's not for everybody. And also have a plan on what you're going to do after those 30 days. Yeah, that's what I see a lot of people, you know, or you give up bread for a whole month. And then you eat a slice of bread, you know, on that 31st day, and then they kind of gain all the weight right back. And you're right. It feels like a cycle. Yeah. So you talked about small, achievable steps. Yeah. What are some of those small, achievable steps? So anytime you make a goal, I would always try to make sure that it's measurable. So making a goal of, well, I want to lose weight. Well, that's not really measurable. So let's let's figure out how much weight is realistic to lose in a certain amount of time. So that kind of gets us back to the idea of like the small realistic goals. 
instead of maybe saying, I'm going to cut out all junk food in my diet, maybe instead cut out the pastry you eat with your morning coffee and leave some leave some flexibility to eat some of the other things you normally do. So it's just the small little things you can cut out every day that add on to each other that make it sustainable for the long term. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying French fries. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Or, you know, instead of eating the normal amount of French fries you would eat, maybe eat half of that. Just cut it back. And I can't do it. You can't just eat. No. <laughs> Everyone can cut out French fries. It's just a matter of will. Yes. They're not a vegetable. Well, potatoes well, are. Yeah. Well, technically, but they're you know, starchy. I know. They're yeah. probably not great. <laughs> One of the things, um, how do you feel, like, what do you tell people that are trying to add more fruits and vegetables to their diet? I know that that's something I struggle with. I feel like a lot of people struggle with getting, you know, the number you're supposed to get. Yeah. Yeah. That That's a hard one because I feel like in our culture, we're not really... We don't, we're not really taught how to make vegetables taste good, whereas in other cultures they do that and they add in, they sneak it into their, like a lot of Indian people cook with a lot of stews. They flavor their vegetables, same in Asian culinary culture. So I think in our culture, the first thing I always recommend to my clients is always start by putting half your plate of vegetables. That's mm -hmm. like the key. Sure. Just half your plate should be vegetables. And then find ways to sneak it in your diet. So whether that's making a smoothie in the summer where you can't really taste them or adding some more to your soups and stews or even omelets, throwing some veggies mm -hmm. in your omelets in, in, in the morning for eggs. There's always ways you can add a little bit more. And it's funny because, you know, I'm not a child, so I always feel like you sneak vegetables into a child's meal, but I feel like I do have to sneak them into yeah. mine. I mean, every everybody does. I, I put spinach in my smoothies in the morning. I feel like that's what that, that's what gets me because then it still tastes, you know, right. still tastes the fruit. Right. So you are teaching a lot of really interesting programs that are free at the Pratt Library that I find incredibly fascinating. One is how to read a food label. Yes. Why is that so challenging for us? Well, I think it's intimidating because one, we're just, we're, we're not taught it, so it's unfamiliar. And two, the way that they've sort of designed food labels is not the most consumer-friendly. Sure. So once you learn how to go through the different parts of a food label, it becomes less scarier, and then you're able to identify what's good for me and what's not. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. I, th I think knowledge is empowerment for a lot of people, and that's really the key to successful, healthy living. Mm -hmm. Are there some basic red flags that we should be looking out for when we're in the grocery store and trying to look at those food labels and kind of decipher what's what? Yeah, I would keep an eye out for the amount of saturated fat. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be a big one, especially in a lot of those processed canned goods. Um, sodium is a big one. Mm -hmm. I would say in general, there on the right-hand side of the food label, there's a column that's called the daily value percentage, mm -hmm. and it gives you a percentage. If anything is over 20%, that's a pr pretty good significant source of whatever it is that you're eating. So if your saturated fat is over 20%, I would say that's a big source of it. So that's something to keep in mind. Sure. And also just reading the ingredients list and learning some of those words in the ingredients list. Is it important? So I get really annoyed with ingredients lists when, you know, it starts with wheat, flour, and then right. it gets to some words at the end that I've right. never seen that have way too many letters in them. Right. Is that a red flag? That is. And a lot of that is what we call what we consider processed foods. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a lot of those are preservatives, added foods to make sure that it stays shelf stable over a long time. And so the easiest change you can make is eating things that have less ingredients, sticking with one ingredient foods. An apple is always going to be an apple. Um, but granola bars can range. You sure. know, they can have a lot of different added things to them. Mm-hmm. When I'm walking into the grocery store, is there a way to shop or something I can do where I know I'm not getting such a huge amount of processed foods? Yeah, stick to the perimeters. So the outside of the grocery stores will always have the freshest produce and that's where the fresh foods will be. The aisles will always contain the packaged foods. Mm -hmm. So limit the amount of packaged foods you have in your diet and try to increase the amount of whole foods, fresh foods, one ingredient foods. Stick to the outside. Stick not to the, the outside, the yeah. Inside. Um, the other thing that I think we have so much of in Baltimore, and I think we're really lucky because I have relatives that live outside that don't have this, we have a lot of farmer's markets. Yes. Um, so talk to me a little bit about shopping the farmer's markets because that's where I am on Sunday morning. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, most of the stuff you're going to find at the farmer's market is going to be more of those whole foods, so one-ingredient foods. Mm -hmm. And I try to buy as much local produce as I can from the farmer's markets. Um, But yeah, I mean, basically the key to farmer's markets is buy as many of those fresh vegetables as you can support your local farmers um, and treat yourself, if you want to, to some of the other stands that have some more of those goodies, those pastries. Sure. There are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of things you can get there. But I always like, um, you know, when you buy an apple, you can tell what farm it came from. Yeah. There's something really nice about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the more local something is, the less it had to travel, meaning it didn't have to be picked super early. And if something's not picked from the ground or the tree super early, it's going to have more of those nutrients readily available. Mm-hmm. One of the pitfalls that I definitely fell into for a long time, and I think people do, is trying to run away from a bad diet. And I mean by exercising as much as I humanly can so that I could eat French fries and other stuff. Um, talk to me a little bit about the relationship between exercise and nutrition. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You can't <laughs> I tried. outrun a bad diet. And I, I it's hard because I think diet has such a negative connotation in our culture, whereas really just diet just simply means what you habitually eat. Um, But for some reason, a diet is such a negative thing. So we think of it like, if I eat, if I restrict myself a certain way, then I'll be able to achieve my goals. With the whole fitness thing, I think fitness is very important to have as far as overall health. But if you're not providing the nutrients or you're over-consuming certain nutrients for your body, there's no amount of fitness that's really going to help counterbalance that. Mm-hmm. So it really starts with nutrition. It's like 80% of where your health and your weight is going to come from. And then the last component of that is fitness. And so they kind of work synergistically like that together. Mm-hmm. One of the programs you teach is about stuff you should eat before and after yes. workouts. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about what I should be doing before I go on that morning run and after. So it really depends on the type of workout you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I would say in general, if you're just doing a 30-minute moderate workout, um, eating like a carbohydrate, so maybe like an apple, eating some sort of protein, so maybe some yogurt, and a little bit of fat to help sustain you through that. Um, So one of my favorite pre-workout things would be I would eat a, on a brown rice cake, I would have some nut butter and a banana, and that would be my pre-workout. So that would give me enough energy about an hour before I worked out 
um, to fuel me through. And then after, I want to make sure that I'm replenishing all that energy storage that I just released. So again, a fruit after a workout is really going to be good. Focus on your electrolytes. Mm -hmm. So even some coconut water would be great. Um, But the fruit is is really good. Um, And then try to eat a balanced meal about an hour after you work out. So you can replenish what you what you just burned. I'm incredibly guilty of waking up first thing in the morning and going to the gym or running and not yeah. eating before that. Yell at me for that. <laughs> Am so, I supposed to do that or no? <laughs> well, I would have to say it really depends on what you ate the night before. Okay. If you ate a higher carbohydrate diet mm-hmm. so that your glucose storage in your liver and in your muscles is replenished, when you work out in the morning, you may you can you may be able to do it fasted without feeling fatigued yeah. or, or whatnot. But most people, if they're not doing that dinner right the night before, then working out on an empty stomach, you can end up getting hypoglycemic. So meaning you and I don't know a lot. I've I've definitely done this to myself, sure. but you get really lightheaded, dizzy after you work out because you're completely you're you've basically exhausted all of your energy storage. Yes, the tank is empty. Yes, the tank is empty. Interesting. So I don't usually recommend that for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all, I, you know, it all relates back to everything. You talk about how food impacts your mood in one of yes. your programs. I don't know that people really realize that unless they're irritable from not eating with the right. Right. Hangry. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there, what kind of impact does that have? Well, blood sugar absolutely has. Mm -hmm. That goes back to the hangry. So if you're skipping meals regularly, your blood sugar's dropping, you're going to get more irritable. Another thing is when we think about mood, we hear about neurotransmitters or hormones like serotonin, dopamine. Where do those things come from? I mean, they're, they're made inside the body and they need precursors. They need nutrients to be made. So if we're not eating the foods that contain those precursors, of course, we're not going to feel very good. So it it really does tie to what you eat is how you feel and how you perform. Interesting. So any last minute, I think, advice for people who are maybe listening to this and are planning uh, to, you know, clean up their act? What are some of the first steps you really feel like they should take to be successful so that by February they're not quitting whatever program they decided? Yeah. Keep it small and realistic. Don't make huge. You can have a bigger long-term goal, but for the smaller goals, make it simple. Think, I'm only going to cut out maybe one thing out of my diet that I feel like isn't helping me. Or instead of cutting something out, I'm going to add something to my diet that I feel like is going to help me reach my goal. But keep it simple. Keep it small so that when you accomplish it, you feel good and you can make the next goal instead of always feeling negative and like, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. The other thing I would absolutely recommend is partnering with a professional, a nutritionist, a health coach, even a personal trainer, somebody who can help you keep keep you accountable throughout, throughout the months until you feel like you can do it yourself. Anna, thank you so much for no being problem. with us today. We appreciate it. And you can find out more about Anna's programs and all of the programs that are for free at the Pratt Library at prattlibrary.org. We'll be right back with more help for your resolutions. The Pratt Contemporaries present the 10th annual Black and White Party, sponsored by Stanley Black & Decker. Saturday, January 19th, 2019, at 8 p.m. in the Assembly Room. The party supports children and teen literacy programs throughout Baltimore. More details at PrattContemporaries.org. Nearly one in five deaths in the United States is linked to cigarette smoking. That's more than 480,000 deaths a year, according to the CDC. 
And yet, an estimated 37.8 million Americans still smoke cigarettes. It's a really tough habit to kick, but there is definitely hope. Letta Grant with the Baltimore City Health Department is here. They offer free programs to help people quit smoking. Letta, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Hey, Letta, tell me, first of all, what are some of the health effects for people that smoke cigarettes? So a lot of times when we are talking about health effects, people initially think about our lungs, which is absolutely true. However, keeping in mind what your lungs do is the bringing in of oxygen to oxygenate your blood, which travels all through your body. So that means anything you're putting in your lungs is touching everything. So we're talking about collection of tar. We're talking about the smoke in general. We're talking about all over your body. So most people know the image of the black lung, smoker's Mm -hmm. lung. So keep in mind that's touching everything. (laughs) <laughs> it's yeah. touching everything. So that's touching your liver. That's touching your heart. You know, that's touching everything. Keeping also in mind that when you smoke, you restrict your vascular system. So your veins and your arteries are tightening. So that just causes a whole bunch of issues on its own. Just the idea that things aren't in the normal position. So it can be a catalyst for all kinds of things. Cancer, just a lot of things. Blood circulation issues. Yeah, stuff that people maybe don't even realize. Right. Yeah. So if you do stop smoking, you know, say I smoked for 15 years and I say like, oh, gosh, well, I already have this. I already have these health impacts. Can you reverse it? Can you turn it around? Yes. So your body will constantly repair itself. So it takes us about 15 years for you to have a similar health risk as someone who never smoked. But your body will begin to repair itself as close as six hours after you stop smoking. Your heart rate drops, your blood pressure reduces. Like your body's already like, okay, are we doing this? Like, are we getting better? (laughs) You know, so it starts from there and it consistently progressively gets better and better. So do you want to try if you have time? Yeah. So you guys run programs to help people kick this habit. It's so hard to kick. So where do you even start? Um, A lot of times we go to different centers. We are at outreach, so health fair events, things like that. We're just kind of out in the public, and we then try to have closer, smaller conversations about this. So there's a workshop format, and then there's a class format. So the class format is four weeks, an hour and a half um, for those four weeks. Um, The workshop is two and a half hours. We just run through everything. Um, The class is better in my mind because there's some coping skills that we give you in the class, Mm -hmm. which you get in the workshop as well, but you don't get the, did that work for you? Do we need to find some other things? Whereas in the class, you go away for a week and you try stuff and then you come back and I can say, okay, did that work for you? How did you feel about that? Did you try this? So you get a little bit more um, catered to what it is that you want to do. But, you know, everybody doesn't have four weeks to come see me. So <laughs> Sure. What do you tell people, say it's their first day sitting down, they're thinking, I've smoked for however many years. This is an insurmountable task for me. What are some of those first words of encouragement you give them? We do it one day at a time. One day at a time. We're only focused on today. What can we do better today? And then tomorrow we'll focus on tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We just start one day at a time. So a lot of people, you know, coming up on New Year's, New Year's resolutions, a lot of people maybe are looking at their habit of smoking and saying, maybe this is the year. This is the year I can kick it. But they're wondering, should I use the patch? Should I go cold turkey? Should I do this? I mean, what is your 
best suggestions for people or is it different for everyone? I think that it's different for everyone. I personally like the patch. I haven't heard too many bad things about the patch. So that's what makes me go, okay, that should be good for most people. Um, I think that the patch is good because you're kind of in control of that. You're making sure that you have it on. You know that you can't smoke while you have it on. Like, and it's not too... uh, too much personal things you have to do. Like, for instance, the pill, you might be on other medications, you know, so mm-hmm. you have all these other things that you have to consider with it. Whereas the patch is very like, we're going to put this on, we're not going to smoke, and we're going to hope that takes us through the day because we're only focused on today. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of, of doing that. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about some of the success stories that you've heard. Do people come back to you after those four weeks, maybe a year or two later and say, this changed my life? I have a lot of people who feel like that was a conversation they needed to have. I feel like the health risk are a lot of things people aren't aware of. That tends to um, give them a little boost of, of I need to stop doing this. Uh, just un- not being aware, just unaware of what's actually going on in their body. So even if they don't stop, I have people who's like, I cut down dramatically. And that's what I like. You know, I know that that goes opposed to the idea of cessation, but that is part of the process. That's part of the program of doing this. The fact that I saw that I needed to change this, and I did. So now I'm down to smoking three cigarettes a day. That's magnificent if you were smoking even a half a pack of cigarettes. That's great, Mm -hmm. you know. So, And then that's easier for you to move on from there. So it's like your process. It's like, oh, we're doing this. We're, we're moving it forward. Like, look how look what I did, you know. <laughs> I know one of the health department's big awareness campaigns targets youth when it comes to smoking. Why is it so important to target kids that are 18 and below? So our hope is that we can inform the children before they get into smoking. Now, of course, that age range of starting to smoke is 18 to 13. So that's really young. So Miss Leslie McNeil goes out to all the schools and she educates the kids and we have our real lungs and they get the feel them and fill the tumor. So they get to do all this so that we're hoping we leave them with all the educational information they need as far as how their body is working and how smoking will impact their body. So that when they have that choice out in the world, <laughs> they'll say, oh, mm-hmm. I don't think I want to do that. Oh, what do you say to parents that say 13? That's like way too young for my kid to smoke. I'm not worried about it then. Usually we're in a, which is helpful, we're in a group of multiple people. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask a smoker to please tell us what age you were when you smoked. Um, A lot of times it's me, you know, I'm the little health educator that comes out, but they'll trust the person who's like, oh, no, I started smoking when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, they'll trust those people. So usually I'll just say, hey, is anybody here who was a smoker? Can you mind telling us how old you were? And it's usually almost always a person Way young, (laughs) way young. That's kind of a shock for parents. Is there something specifically, say you're a parent and you just want to make sure that your kids aren't getting these adverse health risks? Is there, is it about talking to them? Is there something to look for? I think it is about talking to them. I think it's about, you know, in general, just speaking to them on what's healthy, what's not. Um, A lot of times if children are in environments where, you know, your friends are smoking, you know, when we're at that 13 age, you know, we want to fit in with everybody else we all don't make necessarily the best decisions in that frame of mind. So just kind of being open and making sure that this is like a free conversation. Like, you know, hey, what are we doing to take care of our bodies, to, you know, today? Like, you know, we're eating vegetables. Look at that. That's so great. Why are we eating these vegetables? Like, you know, just keeping it open to healthy conversation in general. You'll be more aware. And then, of course, the smell. They're going to try and hide it. 
So if you all of a sudden are smelling lots of perfume that you don't know where it came from, you might, you know, just a little investigating. <laughs> That's a good that. warning sign. <laughs> yeah. You know, we keep seeing vaping and vapes everywhere. What's the difference between that and cigarettes? Is it as dangerous for you? I mean, I feel like there's some messaging out there that it isn't, but I'm not really sure. So vaping is not FDA approved. So that's one thing. Uh, We haven't done lots of studies on its effect to your body. There's only really been one major one. And, you know, we don't work on one study. Mm -hmm. That means nothing to us until we have 30 studies where 30,000 people have been affected in the same particular way. Yeah, 20 years from now. (laughs) 20 years from now. Exactly. So the one study had some adverse events that happened um, that you can very easily look up online. But the thing that I suggest that you do most is that you look up the parent company of whatever vape you're using, vapes, jewels, whatever. Look up the parent company. See if that parent company happens to be a cigarette company. Is vaping as addictive as cigarette smoking? Or do we even know yet? We don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I have my suspicions (laughs) uh, due to the fact that some of the nicotine levels in those are higher than combustible cigarettes, which would be traditional cigarettes. So if we're talking about nicotine addiction, you know. Sure. um, We don't have that concrete information as of yet, though. Yeah. And you may not want to be the test case that they're looking at 20 years from now, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So um, I'm interested in what you guys, you do these free smoking secession workshops. How can people find those? How can they get involved in them? They can call me. So we have some scheduled for um, Enoch Pratt Library. So Mm -hmm. we'll be going in there starting in January through April, I believe. But also you can call our office. If you call Chronic Disease Prevention and ask for tobacco free, I'm sure someone will transfer you to my phone. (laughs) (laughs) And then I will come out to if you have a center or, you know, a church where you're actually holding a whole large meeting. And if not, and you can't find anyone in your area who does cessation classes, I also use the library as a way to do Mm one-on-ones. Oh, that's great. How does Baltimore City compare to, I guess, smoking cities around the country? Are we pretty average? Are we smoking different things? We're pretty average as far as smoking in general. In the city, we have more smoking of marijuana, black and mild, uh, things like that. We're not necessarily at the vape and jewel level, but Baltimore County is. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at our state, we're just definitely average. And even our city is technically average. It's just the things that we smoke differ just a little bit. Mm -hmm. A lot of people may be listening that are trying to improve their lives in 2019. What is the best advice you can give someone if they're looking to improve their health overall or whether they're looking to quit smoking so that they can start over in the new year? If you want to go on your own, um, like you don't want to come see me, you don't want to find any classes, you just want to slowly start on your own. The thing that I would say is every two to three weeks is maybe just drop down a cigarette. So if you smoke a half a pack of cigarettes, so that's like 10 cigarettes, you know, drop down to just smoking nine and just do that for a while. And then, you know, drop down again. It's a slow very methodical way. Some people might be listening, talking about that's going to take way too long. Mm -hmm. I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. It's going to take forever. The idea behind it, though, is that you're lowering your nicotine level in your body, which will eventually make it easier for you to quit. 
I think that the patches are a beautiful thing to use. And if you call us, we can connect you with 1-800-QUIT where you can get the free patches. You can get the free gum. If you want to have that, they'll mail them right to your house. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always nice. You don't have to go anywhere. But if you just you know, want all of us to leave you alone, that's a good way to start. Also keeping in mind that e- exercise will also give you that dopamine release you get from smoking mm. and not even running a marathon. Like if you just walk up and down your steps or walk in the hallway, walk around your block for about three minutes, that will give you a dopamine release so that you can go ahead and just kind of cool your body down a little bit from the cravings. You could knock off two resolutions with that, right? You Get a little more possibly fit. could. <laughs> <laughs> you could really start over in 2019. Right. But it's really important that people know that there are free resources for yes. them. I think people, when you start to kind of feel helpless. Right. You can always just call us. And if we don't have a place, we'll find a place. Or like I said, I'll come out even, you know. So even if you don't have any place at all in your zip code at all, there's nowhere I can send you. I'll just be like, okay, what's, what library is closest to you? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll do that. <laughs> we'll just go there. So. Letta, thank you so much for joining us. And for more information about the smoking cessation programs, you can go to prattlibrary.org. A bunch of programs coming up in January. More Free to Be More podcast is coming right up. The Enoch Pratt Free Library presents Book Lovers Breakfast, featuring James Foreman Jr. and his new book, Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in Black America. Saturday, February 2nd, 8.30 a.m. at the Baltimore Marriott Waterfront Hotel. Tickets at prattlibrary.org. You're free to be more at the Pratt. big promise that people make in the new year is to save more money and actually focus on your finances. Sarah Johnson is the co-founder and COO of Cash Campaign of Maryland. So Sarah, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about Cash Campaign. What is it? How does it help people? Well, I always like to make sure people know that the cash in our name is actually an acronym that stands for Creating Assets, Savings, and Hope. We're a nonprofit statewide organization. We've been doing work here in the Baltimore metro area for about 17 years, and we're most known for our free tax preparation work. So we have a lot of direct services that we can talk more about today, but um, one of the biggest things we do is really helping prepare taxes for free. So we serve individuals and families that made $55,000 or less last year. We're an IRS certified program, and we do free taxes um, here at the Enoch Pratt Library and also at the Randallstown Library. Wow. I mean, that's great. And tax season, you know, it feels far away, but it's coming up, right? Yeah, it's right around the corner. This is a really good time, actually, as you're thinking about your resolutions and about money also to think about taxes because so much is embedded within the tax code in terms of money you get back or deductions you could be taking at work, making sure those forms are right to make sure that you um, have the right amount of money in your paycheck every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always good to know <laughs> yeah. that, it's, that you're getting what you earned, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we like to say, earn it, keep it, save it. So that's a big part of our, our mission and our work. But um, so yeah, we run a lot of direct service programs. We also do advocacy work, and we also do a lot of uh, training of other nonprofit or government organizations around financial education and financial content. So yeah, I know you talk a little bit about financial coaching and doing financial education workshops. For people that are saying, you know, maybe they haven't really kept a good eye on their finances, maybe they swipe their credit card and close their eyes like me, Uh, what are some of those first steps if your resolution this year is to get your finances in order? Well, 
having your finances in order is a really common New Year's resolution. Mm -hmm. I do it myself every year with some goals around my finances. So this is really a perfect time. It feels like a fresh, clean slate, an opportunity to do something new and different. I would say similar. We we often borrow from behavioral health in terms of really what does it take to change behavior. And I think people, when they're thinking about um, what they're setting the New New Year's resolution around a financial goal, should start by thinking small. Mm -hmm. Really find some way to find some momentum and find something that's actionable. And when you think you've broken it down in a small step, break it down even further. Mm -hmm. That really is the main thing. So if you want to open a bank account or look for a new bank account that might give you better rewards, don't have that. Like, that's your big goal, right? So the first goal would be, this week, I'm going to research three banks. Really break it down into really small, actionable steps. When you get to that Friday or Saturday and you look at that checklist, you can check it off. So break things down into small steps um, towards a bigger goal and really be realistic about what those goals um, are along the way. Sure. I know a lot of people have a difficult time making a budget, and that is really one of those first steps. So what do you tell people when they're just kind of getting started in how to make their own household budget? Yep. So a budget is not a static document. You don't do it. We don't set it and forget it necessarily. There's parts of a budget that you want to set and forget, like saving, for example. Mm -hmm. But really, it's something you should be checking in on regularly. So before you start a budget, just take some time to track your expenses. So again, thinking about if your big goal this year is to really have a budget that works for you and your family, maybe in the month of January, you just track expenses. Just see where your money's going. And then after that month, evaluate and see, okay, do I really need to be cutting or is it really, do I need to be thinking about my income or do I need to be thinking about paying bills right away when those paychecks hit? Because, you know, things are cyclical in your family budget, right? As the paychecks are coming in, and they may not be lining up with when your bills are coming in. Mm-hmm. So just getting a real picture of what that cash flow looks like can help you feel more in control. So I would say the first step really is just to track those expenses. See where the leaky parts might be in the budget <laughs> where you might be overspending. Um, those might be good places to cut, but it could be actually that really you just need to be thinking about income. So that might actually shift your thinking around I need to get another job or I need to ask for a raise at work. So really what I need to be doing is thinking about the income side, not just the cutting side. I think so often we think about setting a budget is going to be terrible because I'm going to have to cut all the fun out of my budget. And mm-hmm. that's just not the way life works. You're going to you're going to fall right into the the category of never reaching those financial goals or never getting to the end of the year with your budget if you're constantly thinking about taking things away. I think about um in Sex in the City, there was that scene where Sarah Jessica Parker figures out how much she spent on shoes over right. yeah, years. Right. <laughs> like, if you kept that off a little bit earlier, you could actually buy an apartment or do the things that she actually wanted to do. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you know, part of setting those goals is telling people what you're up to. Don't keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. You know, if your goal is to save money or pay down debt, which are two of the biggest goals people have, let people know that, you know, because it can feel uncomfortable if you're going out to lunch or dinner with friends at work or people in your family and suddenly you're like, oh, I can't pay for that or mm-hmm. I'm not, I can't do it today. You know, letting people know they can really encourage you. Um, and we run a financial coaching program. So if people are interested in working with a, a trained financial coach, they should really visit the um, Maryland Cash Academy. Mm-hmm. This is a clearinghouse for all financial education classes that are happening in Maryland. We wow. help um, keep that list updated and make sure that it's a no-sell zone. So it's all free, fact-based information. So that's MarylandCashAcademy.org. You can also find it on our website at the Cash website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can get connected with financial coaches there. You can get connected with free financial education there. So that also is a good step in terms of where do I start? Let's just go and learn some things and figure out what I need to know more about, whether it's saving, investing, those kind of things. 
I heard you say, I think saving money is sometimes another one of those really big components of a New Year's resolution. I heard you say, set it and forget it. So explain that a little bit to me, how that works. Well, so anytime things are automated, it is the best for us, right? (laughs) We all like to receive our money direct deposit. Uh We don't want to wait for that paycheck to come in the mail. It's nice when things are automated. So it's the same thing with saving. Making sure you're setting aside a little bit of money every month is really important. Um, Something that works for you, figuring out that threshold. So it could be for retirement. It could be saving for um, emergencies. Um, 54% of people in the United States do not have any emergency savings Uh and couldn't come up with a couple thousand dollars in a pinch if they needed it. So that's the car breaks down, right? Those are, these are like really not huge emergencies. These are these are things that really keep people or set people off track if they don't have that emergency savings. Sure. So anytime you can put away a little bit of money, and it doesn't have to be a lot, right? Can you put away uh, aside 25 bucks a paycheck? If you can do a little bit here and there, it really does begin to add up. And I think one thing that really I want to make sure people understand is so much of this also is tied to your personal health. So health expenses are a huge piece. Uh-huh. Um, people, another common goal, right, for the new year is, is your physical health. Sure. And so much of being able to stay on track with your financial goals is your physical health, too, because when you're feeling a lot of stress, your attention span, can you can't focus on what's right in front of you, right? You're feeling really stressed out and it's really hard then to follow through and you end up not being able to reach those goals. So taking care of your stress level, getting out for a walk, not only reduces those medical bills, but it helps you stay on track with your goals. It keeps your energy level up. It keeps your focus up, helps you sleep better. These are all really important things about your overall health, but it ties right back to your financial health. You mentioned retirement and that's something that feels far off for some people, but what are some of the steps that you can take at different phases of your life to make sure that you're set for retirement? I feel like some people now are just thinking, well, I just, I'm never going to get there. I, I don't know even yeah. how to save for that. Yep. So what are some of those, I guess, introductory steps to make sure that you're set up later in life? Yeah. First of all, don't leave money on the table. If your employer matches please, please, please do not leave free money on the table. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're doing whatever you can through your employer to take advantage of employer matches and putting money in. Again, make it automated through your paycheck. Go through the payroll system. Get a little bit to put a percentage of your paycheck aside every month that's automated for you to know that that's going in a safe place. There's a lot of great um, brokers out there that can work with you on, on different retirement plans. But the biggest thing is just start with a little bit every month. It doesn't have to be a lot. I think it's the same when we, th- we talk about t- people saving for emergencies. Uh-huh. They feel like they're supposed to have six months of their ex- you know expenses saved up. Well, that's a lot of money, right? So, sure. so you feel like, well, the mountain's too big to climb. I'm just not even going to start, uh-huh. right? And let's start with the foothills first, right? Let's just put a little bit away and that momentum does begin to pick up. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can handle some of those minor emergencies that come up and it really does help you feel like you're on the right track. And again, it's all about gaining that momentum, taking those first steps. A lot of people have, you know, different goals going into the new year. I know for me, and I'm selfishly using this podcast to ask questions about my own resolutions, but I want to buy a house in the upcoming year and I've saved money and I've done that. But what are, for other people out there that maybe are looking into homeownership, what are some of the pitfalls, the things to know before you jump in and do it. Yeah. Well, there are great networks in Maryland for um, for the housing counseling network. So you can get free housing counseling and work with people. They'll help you through a budget. They'll help you figure out the right lenders to work with. They'll do all kinds of pre-homeownership things about what do you think about what's going to happen when things break in the house? Like, what's Mm -hmm. the plan? Where do you, what are the resources for those kind of things? So I think feeling, working with experts around housing is really important. And I know that our city, our state agencies and city agencies have really great resources 
resources there to learn more about housing counseling and all that stuff is free. And we work really closely with housing counseling agencies. And so I recommend them highly. They're great experts. Sure. And I think people do get kind of caught in, you know, I want to save money and they don't even realize that there are resources like Cash Campaign out there for them. Yeah. Yeah. All of our um, programs are free and we really want to make sure that people take advantage of free financial coaching, free tax preparation, of course, um, and all the free financial education classes that we have offered through the Maryland Cash Academy and on our website. As we wrap up, give me, I guess, some of the top tips you would give for somebody who's trying to get their finances in order. So like the top three things that they maybe should do. I would say first track expenses, tell a friend what you're up to, set a reasonable goal, and use things, use some incentives for yourself that make it fun. Really do. Set your, give yourself some rewards every once in a while when you're on track to make sure that you're enjoying some of that money too, as well as saving it. And I'm sure that'll keep you on the right track. It does. Too. And there's really simple things you can do also to stay on track. One of my favorite stories that I tell people is when I was um, noticing that I was spending too much money with my debit card, right? Like the swipe business. Mm-hmm. I literally put a sticky note on my swipe card. So when I pulled it out, it just said, really, Sarah? And it's like, <laughs> it's just that double check, right? Like, do I need to be doing this? Or really, can I pause? Can you hit pause for a minute and really make sure that you're you're spending your money wisely? So it can be as easy as a sticky note. <laughs> it can. It can be as easy as a sticky note. How can people find out more about the Cash Campaign? Uh, you can visit our website, which is cashmd.org. Great. And for any more information on library programs, you can go to prattlibrary.org. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. The Free to Be More podcast is sponsored by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Now featuring Canopy, a free video streaming service available with your library card. Stream over 30,000 titles with the click of a button. Learn more at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow The Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another free-to-be-more conversation. Thanks for listening.